Pop Culture Affidavit, episode 57. You're so money. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. This is the very first episode of 2016, and while I usually do some sort of general January episode, I'm not launching any huge mini-series or series of episodes right away uh, this year, so there's not a ton to talk about in my world of geekery. Christmas was good. I got a couple of nerd-related things, one of which was the Spider-Man Complete Alien Costume Saga Collection, which I then read over the holiday and really enjoyed. I saw The Force Awakens, which I thought was awesome. Um, I do have a New Year's resolution to write more, and if I actually follow that, you'll be seeing regular posts on the blog, so don't forget to go and check out popcultureaffidavit.com to see what I've got there, and like the Facebook page, of course, which is facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit, and that's where I post links to everything I do over there as well, sometimes some extra stuff if I'm feeling so inclined. The one big thing that I did over the holidays, though, specifically over New Year's, was go to Las Vegas with my wife and a couple of friends, and that was actually provided the inspiration for this episode's subject matter, which is the 1996 film Swingers. Now, I know that all of maybe... 10 or 15 minutes of that film takes place in Vegas, and there are a slew of movies that I could have covered instead, you know, Honeymoon in Vegas, The Wizard, Casino, Very Bad Things, The Hangover, but while I never once uttered the phrase, while in Sin City, I kept having Vegas Baby run through my head. I think it's some weird guy reflex. Anyway, it's what I'm going to do. I'll be giving you the plot of the film, five things I really like about it, because as I discovered after watching it for the first time in probably about a decade, it's still a great movie. Uh, It holds up really well. But before I go to commercial, I I do want to mention two things. First, I have to give a shout-out to His Excellency, Trentus Magnus. Uh, While I was watching the movie the other night uh, in prep for this episode, Magnus literally posted the phrase, you're so money and you don't even know it, to Facebook. I replied that I was watching that movie Right then, at that moment, in fact, I was at the scene at the end where Mike, where Michelle finally calls Mike. So, while His Excellency is not necessarily the inspiration for this particular episode, because I was already doing my research when he posted, I did want to at least mention that because it was a great coincidence. And uh, a shout-out to Magnus is a shout-out that's well worth it. Second, the trailer that I'm going to be playing in a moment is for a podcast miniseries that I will be starting later this year called Origin Story. It'll be about my first year of collecting comics. If you're interested in it, check out the blog post I wrote last week. Look for upcoming blog posts about it and uh, the lead-up blog series called Comics Prehistory as well. And with that, I'll be right back with Swingers. 30 years ago, I walked into a comic store, and I picked up G.I. Joe and the Transformers number one. A month later, I came back. They say every journey has a first step. Every story has a beginning. This is mine. I may have begun my comics collecting career in earnest in 1990, but from the fall of 1986 until the fall of 1987, I was a regular at my LCS. So in honor of 30 years of collecting comics, I'll be recapping and reviewing all of them on the days they originally came out. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Origin Story 
a podcast miniseries starting this September at popcultureaffidavit.com and twotruefreaks.com. I want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie. You're a bad man. You're a bad man. You're a bad man. In the city of Los Angeles, where everyone is a player. What do you guys do? Oh, I'm a producer. Mike can't even get a seat on the bench. Where do I know you from? You ever been to the Ha Ha Hole on, a, on Pico? Oh, you're, you're a comedian. It's a, you know, it's a dream. You know, it's a lot of hard work and travel. I know where it is. Starbucks. He came in and asked me for an application. But now his closest friends are getting him back into the swing of things. Vegas, baby! Vegas! If this happens to be a $100 minimum bet table, perhaps you'd be more comfortable at one of our lower stakes tables. How are you ladies doing this evening? What do you drive? Uh, Cavalier. <laughs> it's a nice touch. So how long do I wait to call? Two days is like industry standard. Well, how long are you guys going to wait to call your babies? Six days. Miramax presents the film that had an entire country on its feet. You know what, big boy? You're grown up! Swingers. Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. Hi, uh, Nikki. This is Mike again. I, I just called because it sounded like your, your machine might have cut me off when I, when I... Roger Ebert calls it sweet, funny, observant. Mikey's the big winner. Mikey wins. The movie that defined a generation. Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. I didn't want to think I was uh, weird or desperate or... Hello? Mike, don't ever call me again. Swingers. Wow! Get a nightlife. Swingers was released on October 18th, 1996, and grossed $4.5 million, which made it the number 151st highest grossing movie of 1996. That puts it right behind the indie flick Welcome to the Dollhouse, slightly above the Matt LeBlanc acts with a guy in a monkey suit movie, Ed. The number one film of 1996, by the way, was Independence Day. But where in the box office rankings this film falls is not that important. What's important are two things. First, Swingers was made on a budget of $200,000, and therefore it made approximately 22 and a half times its budget at the box office. Definitely a success story. Plus, it had a major life on home video, uh, which is where I saw it about probably a year or so later. I remember this starting to seep its way into college dorm rooms in about 97 or 98, which is during my junior and senior years. Granted, Loyola College in Maryland was not exactly on the forefront of popular culture, and I'd actually wouldn't have seen half the movies I saw while I was in college if Amanda and I hadn't been meeting every weekend at her parents' house in the suburbs, which is an entirely different story. The movie was directed by Doug Lyman, and it was his second film. His first film was the little-known movie Getting In, which was from 1994. It starred Andrew McCarthy and Christy Swanson. And looking at the IMDb profile, I'm about 90% sure I've actually seen it. I at least remember seeing the box at the video store. I may have actually rented it. If I can find it, I might... It might be one of those blog post fodder type of things. Anyway, Swingers was Lyman's big break. Uh, he would go on to direct the film Go, which is about Raven Club Kids, has a few really good scenes in Vegas. In fact, that it, Go is a really underrated film. But Lyman is more famous and more noteworthy for his efforts in recent years, and that includes mostly action movies, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Jumper, The Born Identity. Ly- uh, Lyman has three films listed currently on IMDb as in production, and his most recent films were uh, the Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt movie, Edge of Tomorrow, and then the documentary called Reckoning with Torture. The writer of this movie is someone who is also well-known as an actor, writer, and director. That is John Favreau. Listeners of this podcast may remember him as Gutter from PCU. Favreau was also in the film Rudy prior to Swingers. And while Swingers was making the rounds on video, he had a recurring role on Friends as one of Monica's boyfriends. He was the millionaire who ran like an internet startup, but he wanted to become the ultimate fighting champion. Fevro's most famous in nerd world, of course. He played f- for playing Foggy Nelson in the Ben Affleck Daredevil film, 
But more importantly, for those of you who are uh, MCU fans, he directed Iron Man and Iron Man 2. He also directed Elf, and I've heard very good things about his more recent independent work, Chef, which is actually sitting somewhere on my Netflix list. Favreau wrote Swingers, and it was largely based on his life as an actor trying to make it in Los Angeles. He plays the main character, Mike, and rounding out the cast are Vince Vaughn as Trent, his fast-talking friend, and it should be noted that this was Vaughn's big break as well. In fact, there's an item on the IMDb trivia page for Swingers that says when Miramax was trying to get clearance to use the Jaws theme for a scene in, in the film... Uh, they sent a copy of Swingers to Steven Spielberg, who watched it and was so impressed with Vince Vaughn that he cast him in The Lost World, which was the second Jurassic Park movie. Ron Livingston plays Rob, Mike's friend from home, who has recently moved out to L.A., and Ron Livingston is best known for uh, the 1999 Mike Judge cult classic Office Space. He plays Peter Gibbons. That is going to get an episode. I love that movie. Anyway, you've also got Patrick Van Horn as Sue, one of Mike and Trent's friends. Alec Desert, who's one of those Hey, It's That Guy from the uh, late 90s and early 2000s. He plays Charles, and that's your core group. Uh, there's a couple other people I'll mention them as they go along. The film takes place in Hollywood in the mid-1990s, which was present day for when it was filmed and released. Mike is a struggling comedian who has had some early success when he moved out there, but he hasn't done much else since. More importantly, though, he left his college sweetheart behind in New York, and in the six months since he moved away, she dumped him. He still hasn't gotten over this because he constantly talks about her with his friends. In fact, in the very first scene of the movie, Mike is with Rob in a coffee shop, and they're talking about it with Rob giving Mike advice about how to get over a breakup. He's always checking his messages to see if she's called. Of course, she never does. And one night after he's done so, Trent calls him up and then says that, well, they're going to Vegas, baby. They head there, and while Mike loses a ton of money very quickly, Trent manages to pick up a cocktail waitress who's played by Dina Martin, who you might recognize as Siobhan in Dazed and Confused. And Mike has a chance with her friend, Christy, but she but he blows it when he starts talking about his ex-girlfriend, Michelle. I'm sure she'll call. I mean, six years is a long time. You don't just break it off cleanly after six years. No, but she did. And she's with somebody else now. Already. <laughs> you know what? It won't last. Why not? It's a rebound. We were rebounded. We lasted for six years. Well, yeah, but how long was the relationship that she was rebounding from? Six years. Okay. Check my messages real quick. I have a calling card. It won't cost yeah. anything. Are you sure? Yeah, sure. It's the phone's in the back. I'm not ruining tonight, am I? No, it's okay. Are you sure? Yeah. Oh, I understand. It's okay. T. Trent. Trent. I need to, uh, you. No, I gotta, I gotta use the, I gotta use the phone. Yeah, I need to. I need to use the phone. Okay, I'm sorry. Hold on. I'm sure I. Yeah, we weren't in there that long. I don't think we're interrupting anything. Wow. I have a, a calling card. So it's it's a 800. It's 800 number. obviously frustrating for both guys they head back to LA where they spend successive nights going to bars and parties to meet girls one particular night starts with the guys going to a party in the Hollywood Hills Trent getting a girl's number and tearing it up because he knows he's out of her league and 
she's kind of annoying, really. But anyway, they head to a bar where Mike gets the number of this girl named Nikki, who's played by Brooke Langdon, who I want to say she used to pop up on TV all the time in the late 90s. I want to say that Brooke Langdon's best-known role or thing I remember her from the most from the most was she was on the... T- she played the Sandra Bullock character in the TV version of The Net. Correct me on that if I'm wrong. Anyway, Mike's friends tell him to wait three days to call her. He ignores her advice and decides to call her right when he gets home from the bar, and he winds up leaving several messages on her answering machine. Hi, uh, Nikki. This is Mike. I met you at the um, at the Dresden uh, tonight. Uh, I just called to, to say that I had a great time, and you should call me tomorrow or in uh, two two days, uh, whatever. Anyway, uh, my number is two one three five 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 four six seven nine. Hi, uh, Nikki. This is Mike again. I, I just called because it sounded like your, your machine might have cut me off when I when I uh, before I finished leaving my number. Anyway, uh, and you know, and also, um, sorry to call so late, but you were still at the Dresden when I left, so I knew I'd get your machine. Anyhow, uh, uh, my number is two one. Two one three five 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 four six seven nine. That's it. Just want to leave my number. I didn't want to think I was uh, weird or desperate. We should just uh, hang out and uh, see where it goes because it's nice and uh, you know no expectations. So okay, thanks a lot. Bye bye. just got out of a six-year relationship okay that should help explain why i'm acting so weird i just wanted you to know that it, it's not you it's me i'm sorry this is mike Hi, Nikki. This is this is Mike. Could you just uh, call me when you get in? I'm going to be up for a while, and I'd just rather speak to you in person instead of trying to fit it all into... Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. Uh, Nikki and Mike. This, is, uh, this, should, this just isn't working out. I, I think you're great. But uh, maybe we should just some, take some time off from each other. It's not you. It's me. It's what it's what I'm going through. All right. Uh, it, it's it, it's only been six months. Mike. Nikki. Great. Did did you just uh, walk in, or were you, were you listening all along? Don't ever call me again. Wow. I I guess you're home. This leads to two straight days of Mike sitting alone in his apartment, moping and looking at a drawer full of mementos of him and Michelle. Rob shows up and gives him a pep talk, and then Mike gets his spirits up enough to go to a bar where the band Big Bad Voodoo Daddy is playing. At the bar, he meets a woman named Lorraine, who's played by Heather Graham. They chat, and then she asks him if he'll dance with her. He accepts, and slow song... No, then that moves into something faster, and Lorraine manages to convince him to keep dancing, and the two swing dance all over the floor, much to the amazement and bewilderment of a very drunk Trent and Sue. But it works. Mike locks Lorraine to her car. She gets her. He gets her number. Trent then decides to make a spectacle of himself at the coffee shop while celebrating Mike's achievement. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> Shit, you shut up. You shut up. You were great tonight. There she is, the wonderful lady. Right? Personality plus all the time. Every time I come in here. Nothing but smiles for me. Whatever. I'm ready to eat. Here it is. 
Dinner at the Apollo. Me and you. See that? He's being funny. Whatever. I don't have to be liked by everyone. Some people don't like me. I don't like certain people. Darling, I think everything looks absolutely wonderful tonight. Ow! What the hell are you kicking me for? Fine, I'll ask her. You want me to ask her, ma'am? Where do the high school girls hang out around here? You know what, Matt? You were fucking off your ass tonight. What did you learn to do all your stuff, man? A twirly-whirly. Jackknife, shut up. I took a ballroom class with Michelle. And she's the only one I dance with till tonight. That Lorraine is good. Though. You are definitely good. Did you see, even see how she was vibing you tonight? Sorry, man. You know what? You probably could have hit that if you didn't have to take us home. Definitely. It's not like that. Don't give me that shit, Mike. I think she liked you. I know she I liked really you. I really do. Shut up, okay? I know she liked me. I just didn't want to do anything tonight. Yeah, you know what, Mike? Honestly, you should probably wait three days before you You don't have to wait three days. You know what? You should wait two days. You know what? You know what? You know what? I have it under control, okay? He has it under control. Oh, I guess you don't have to worry about him anymore. Our little baby's all grows up. You know what? Shut up. Come on. No, no. Our little baby's all grows why up. Why do you have to? Gee, why do you have to? <laughs> I'm not even hungry. I couldn't touch it. Why do you have to? A major production every time we go out and embarrass me. You know what? Oh, God. Jesus Christ, that's what all I have. Our little boy is all grows up tonight. You know what, big boy? You're grown up. You're grown up. Yeah, I did that. Is this a fucking protection for you? Because you're grown up and you're grown up and you're grown up. I'm the asshole in the box. Place, right? I'm the asshole. I'm out of here. I'm not eating anything. I wouldn't eat here. I would never eat here anyway. Mike decides that he's not going to blow this one. He literally puts Lorraine's number on his calendar and crosses out the days until he's going to call her. And that's when Michelle calls. They talk, and in the middle of the conversation, Lorraine calls. Mike hangs up on Michelle and he talks to Lorraine. The movie ends with Mike and Trent in the coffee shop, with Mike trying to tell Trent about the phone call when Trent interrupts him because he spots a young mother, who, by the way, is played in a blink-and-you'll-miss-it role by Maddie Corman. She was one of the womenists in PCU and was the younger sister in Some Kind of Wonderful. Uh, The woman's playing with her baby, but since Trent can't see the baby, he thinks like she's making eyes at him. You hung up with her. I we'll have to take the other call. What did you say when you called her back? I didn't. You didn't call her back? No. Why not, Mike? Didn't occur to me. Didn't occur to you? I didn't. You've been uh, tearing yourself up about this girl for six months. Didn't occur to you. Well, Michael, I'll bite. You know, man, I didn't understand it either. It's all so hard. Then it hit me on the way over here, you know, like a ton of bricks. It's just so simple. When you do, dude, wait a second. I'm getting vibed like in a really weird way here. This girl's looking at me like she knows me a little bit. You don't recognize her? I don't know. I could have been out with Sue one night drinking and told her I was a race car driver or something. I think I would remember this girl. I don't think I've ever met her before. I would definitely remember this one. She's got a lot of confidence, man. She's doing like... Wow. (gasps) Mike, stop, stop, stop. Just stop. She's playing a little game like a fun thing with me. Come on, you little party girl. That's it. Come on, fun little games. You want to play fun little games? Come on, you nasty little, cute little baby. What are you doing? Mike, 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 Mike. Stop, though. You smiling at me. She's playing fun little baby games. She don't know me. She doesn't know my address. You know my address. You little boy. Hold on, she's coming over, dude. Play it cool. She's coming over. She's like the wild loony, but I threw like the great vibe at her, like the funny vibe. Shit. As I said in the beginning of the episode, uh, the movie holds up incredibly well. It's a lot funnier than I remember from when I was back in college. Uh, And that's because it's one of those movies that changes a little bit with age and perspective. 
when I first saw it, I thought it was funny, but most of all, I thought it was very cool. The characters were cool. The music was cool. It defined a sort of coolness that I obviously didn't have, and I've never had. Unfortunately, this was one of the movie's biggest faults in the years immediately following its release, because such as phrases as, you're so money, and Vegas, baby, became part of the douche bro lexicon, and a number of guys started copying that swingers look of that sort of bowling shirt, you know, the, the, the striped shirts that kind of look like bowling shirts and aren't, but aren't kind of swinger hair and stuff like that. And granted, this was the late 90s and the early 2000s, and the late 90s and early 2000s were like, it was like the height of the douche bro movement, the golden age of the douche bro. But um, I still believe this movie is indirectly responsible for, for Guy Fieri. Seriously, though, the annoyances that came along in this movie's wake, however, they faded. And as I got older, um, I had the opportunity to look at it again. And with time and age, I saw a movie that's incredibly well-written well-acted, well-shot, and very funny. It's also a great example of one of those indie movies that could have really gone horribly wrong. One of the stories that I've read about the filming of Swingers was that when John Favreau was shopping the script around, there were studios interested in it, but they wanted to handle the casting, and Favreau had written the movie with Vince Vaughn and some of the other actors in mind. They were his friends, so... Instead of giving the script away, he helped self-finance it with him and Doug Lyman. And, you know, had the studios actually gotten their way, I can imagine this would have been a complete train wreck. Um, or at least would have been incredibly forgettable. Uh, they would have cast for looks or star power. They would have changed elements of the film to make it more slapsticky or even more vulgar. They probably would have wound up with a movie that was just like every other middling 90s comedy featuring a cast with very little chemistry and funny moments that really only work in the trailer. Because the performances make this film, um, as to the fact that Doug Lyman, who both shot and directed it, was kind of doing some guerrilla filmmaking in parts. Some of the film scenes in Vegas were shot without permits. Uh, the story goes that the scene that takes place on the side of the highway was shot with the police literally standing off to the side of the set with one of the crew keeping them at bay, saying, oh yeah, we got the permit somewhere, it's back in our office, yeah. While Lyman pretended not to film but was filming the whole time. I mean, that's just about as indie as Kevin Smith filming Clerks while the quick stop was closed. I mean, combine the indie quality here, with the whole 40s swing trend that permeates the film, and it was becoming trendy at the time. And what you've got is you've got a movie that actually does not look dated. Um, there are certainly little things here and there that, that do make it look a little bit, you know, of its time. But, you know, I've reviewed other comedies from the 90s on this podcast, Singles and Reality Bites, two that I think of um, most. And while I still think that those hold up very well, there's definitely a dated quality to each of those films that makes them feel very, you know, of their time. Although, what that helps, though, is that gives them an advantage of being good for 90s nostalgia. Swingers is deliberately retro, and the plot itself is one that can work really during just about any time period. You could set this movie 10 or 20 years earlier or 10 or 20 years later, and the plot still works. And that's going to bring me to my five favorite things about this movie. First is the entire Mike and Michelle breakup storyline. We never actually see Michelle in the film. Uh, she's in a few photographs that Mike is thumbing through at one point. We hear her voice on the phone. Otherwise, she's just the ex-girlfriend that this guy has been obliterated by, and he's trying to get over I played the clip of Mike leaving the answering machine message to Nikki earlier, but now I'd like to play two separate clips. The first is the scene shot on the side of the highway in Vegas, which I was just talking about. This is where Trent tries to give Mike a pep talk, especially after the previous night. What do you think of that uh, Dorothy group? The whole Judy Garland thing kind of turned me on. Does that, does that make me some kind of fag? No, baby, your money. I don't think she liked me anyway. Oh, Mike, I'm telling you, man. She thought you were money. I don't think so. I heard them both talk. And both those girls thought you were money. They're good friends. 
You take yourself out of the game. You start talking to him about puppy dogs and ice cream. Of course, it's going to end up on the friendship tip. Just don't think she liked me in that way. Baby, you are so money, and you don't even know it. Look, T. Girls don't go for me the way they go for you, OK? Michelle went for you, right? It's different. Why? How is that different? Younger, it was college. You didn't go to college. You don't know how it is. The girls are young, they drink, they don't know any better. Do you know how stupid that sounds? Listen to me, Mike. Your self-esteem is low right now because she's with somebody else. But talking about it and thinking about it all the time, it's depressing. It's no good, man. You just need one more time. Why, so you can sit around your stuffy apartment beating yourself up over it? Remember the first week after she told you? Don't remind me. Huh? You couldn't even leave your place. You know, you just sat around your stuffy apartment, sitting there drinking orange juice, feeling sorry for yourself. Now look at you, man, right? I mean, you got a part in the movie. Day. Whatever, Mike, it's work. You understand? You're doing what you love to do. What the hell is she doing now? Selling scrap metal. OK. And this guy she's seeing, what the hell does he do? What? I heard he drives a carriage around Central Park. Oh, or Mike, please. You're the fun loving, outgoing party guy, and you're sweating some lawn jockey. <sighs> Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, man, you're better off without this girl. You got to trust me on this, Mike. All right, buddy? Stop talking. <laughs> Shut up. Okay, I'm going to try. Now, the reason I like this is the reason I actually like Vince Vaughn's Trent throughout the movie. Like I said, a number of late 90s and early 2000s douche bros tried to emulate this character because of what they saw on the surface. But the reason Trent is so likable isn't just because of Vaughn's performance, although it's definitely a huge part of it. It's because we see throughout the film, Trent genuinely cares about his friend. Yeah, this isn't a guy trying to be all, you gotta be cool with the ladies, all that's definitely in there. It's more of an honest moment where Trent, who met Mike after he'd moved out to Hollywood, so he doesn't know Michelle, is trying to level with his friend and get him to move on in the only way he knows how. And then there's Rob's advice near the end of the movie after Mike's had that disastrous phone message marathon. I mean, you're telling me that your life sucks. That means my life is god-awful, you know? Part of the reason that I moved out here is because I saw how well you were doing, and I figured that if you could make it, then I could make it too. I didn't make it. You got an agent, you got in the unions. You know, that's your problem, is that you... You don't look at the things that you have. You only look at the stuff that you don't have. Those guys are right about you, your money. And why won't she call? She won't call because you left. She's got her own life to deal with, man, and that's in New York. All right, and she's a sweet girl, and I love her to pieces, but fuck her, man. You gotta get on with your life. You gotta let go of the past, and Mikey, when you do, I'm telling you, the future is beautiful, all right? Look out the window. It's sunny every day here. It's like manifest destiny. Don't tell me we didn't make it. We made it. We are here, and everything that has passed is prologue to this. All of the shit that didn't kill us is only you know, all that shit. You're gonna get over it. How did you get over it? I mean, how, how long did it take? I don't know. Sometimes it still hurts. You know how it is, man. It's like you wake up every day and it hurts a little bit less, and then you wake up one day and it doesn't hurt at all. And the funny thing is, is that this is kind of weird, but it's like, it's like you almost miss that pain. You miss the pain? Yeah, for the same reason that you miss her. Because you, you lived with it for so long. Spill something. <laughs> All right, sure. The difference between Rob and Trent is that obviously Rob's got the perspective of being a friend from back home and he can be honest in a different way. I love the moment where he just flat out says, the truth is you left. 
Because I don't think up until that point, Mike really has ever really thought about that. I'm sure he has, but he's probably spent so much time wallowing that the idea that he might be partially at fault for the end of his relationship never really sunk in. Plus, at the beginning of the film, Rob gives Mike advice that comes true at the very end. He says, once Mike stops thinking about Michelle, that's when Michelle's going to call. You know, there's the rub. And I can test to this being true. I went through a horrible breakup over the summer between my freshman and sophomore years of college. I know it's not exactly like this, but it was really rough. The beginning of the fall semester, really, really, really rough. And there, But there came a point where I started dating someone else. And, you know, forgot about the ex. And one night, I think like a few weeks in, my ex-girlfriend calls. And it was totally that moment where Michelle calls and Mike just really hadn't been thinking about her. In fact, so much of Mike's whining and pining for Michelle is really true. I've had friends who had the ex, they, they're having a hard time getting over. I've had the ex whom I've had a hard time getting over. And the whole situation could be just all-consuming. And, and while it's played here through laughs throughout the movie, there are scenes in here that are heartbreakingly true. And that's why I think the film holds up so well. Especially since Favreau is so likable as the main character. I mean, you're rooting for him through the whole movie. And speaking of guys you're rooting for, there's a great exchange between Sue, Mike, and Trent when Mike's about to hit on Nikki. It's number two on my list. You got digits, baby. Yeah, what a surprise. What's wrong? I saw you talking to the beautiful brunette baby. Look, she didn't like me, okay? I'm in a fool of myself. Baby, don't talk that way. You're, right? so, you're so money and you don't even know it. That's what I keep trying to tell you. So Could you, you not mess with me right now? Baby, we're not we're messing. We're not. Don't you are? You're like a big bear with 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 claws and with fangs, with man. Big fucking teeth, yeah, man. Yeah, fucking teeth on you. She's just like this little bunny who's just kind of cowering in the corner, shivering. Yeah, man. Just kind of, you, you know, you got these claws and you're staring at these claws, man. And you're thinking to yourself with these claws, you're thinking, man, how am I supposed to kill this bunny? And you're how poking am I supposed at it, man. You're poking bunny? at Yeah, you're not hurting it. You're just kind of gently batting the bunny around. You know what I mean? And the bunny's scared, Mike. The bunny's scared of you. And you got shivering. these fucking claws you got these and fucking fangs, claws and these fangs, man. And you're looking at your claws and you're looking at your fangs and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what to do, man. I don't know how to kill the bunny. With this, you don't know how to kill the bunny. Do you know what I mean? You're like a big bear, man. So you're not just like fucking. No, right? I'm not fucking with Honestly, you. Honestly, Mike, I'm telling you, you're money. You're so fucking money. All right, I want you to go over to that girl and I want you to get those digits. Your money. Come here a second. Listen to me. Now look it. When you go up to talk to her, man, I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie. Everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie, you know? The guy you're not sure whether or not you like yet. You're not sure he's coming from, okay? You're a bad man. You're a bad man. You're a bad man. Bad man. Now, really, I just find the dialogue here, especially about being the guy in the rated R movie versus the guy in the PG-13 movie, hilarious. But I think this helps show the chemistry the cast had, which is something that I've already mentioned. You can't make this movie if the characters don't really seem like friends or things appear forced because you're relying either on Favreau or Vaughn to carry the movie too much. It's the two of them together that makes this work. Plus, the movie's self-aware in a way that's not annoying. At one point, there's a scene in a restaurant where the guys are all talking about how Tarantino steals from Scorsese, um, and the entire scene is shot to look like Lyman stealing from Tarantino, stealing from Scorsese. It's brilliant in a way that's cheeky, but not showing off how smart it is, which is what way too many movies and television shows did during the late 1990s. I honestly blame Kevin Williamson for that because he wrote the screenplay to Scream, which was very self-aware and very meta. While that's still a good movie, Scream and the movie that swiped from it did their self-awareness in a look-how-smart-we-are way that got very old very quickly. This doesn't. But then again, it's about actors talking about acting, talking about making movies in a movie. It, it's, it, it, everything falls into place in that scene really, really well. Third on my list is the music.
big bad, bad Voodoo Daddy album. I will admit that. I had, I liked, I did not have the Brian Sensor Orchestra album. My sister had that. I liked it. My mom had the Cherry Poppin' Daddies album. I had a few of those songs on a mixtape. I mean, I've always been a fan of all the oldies anyway. But, you know, of all the fans to come out of the late 90s, the Swing to Revival, for a little bit, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy actually played my college in the fall of 1998, and I actually went and swing danced with Amanda. Uh, band was really good, too. Uh, in fact, I, I have the poster somewhere. I had saved the poster, and I found it in a, in a tube full of posters that I had from from uh, college or afterward. Uh, and I, I think I put it up in my classroom at one point. Anyway, it's so beside the point. It's not even funny. The music, the music does not overwhelm the movie in the way that other movies that revel in their nostalgia or retro feel will try to almost to almost grab the audience with it, make them pay attention. You know, like buy the soundtrack because there's all these eighty songs on it. I'm looking at you, the wedding singer. I don't own the soundtrack to Swingers. Uh, there is some great stuff on it though. Uh, the song "Knock Me a Kiss" by Louis Jordan is what Amanda and I played at our wedding during the cake cutting, actually. And the scene at the end of the film where Mike dances with Lorraine, which is set to Go Daddy-O by Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, is a great scene. It's choreographed, in a sense, because they're actually doing some real dance moves to the music. But what Lyman does is he he makes it look really natural. He sets the scene up like they're just two more people on a dance floor filled with other people. And so it's not like they're the only two people there or there's some sort of big production number moment. It feels like it, it's shot really tight in places. Um, and then he keeps cutting back to Trent and Sue who have this, I mean, they're completely shit faced and they have this, the hell are we watching? Look on their faces and Heather Graham in this movie. Oh my God. So hot. Like I know she's roller girl, but and that's the role that made her, but she's Mercedes. She's also Mercedes and licensed to drive, by the way, but I didn't realize that until after I'd seen uh, Boogie Nights. Um, Swingers, though, this is this is why I had a thing for her at the time. Um, she's just gorgeous. Okay, <laughs> moving on to number four on my list here. The Vegas scenes. The Vegas scenes are actually really well done, and now that I've been to Las Vegas, I appreciate them even more. Granted, when we were in Las Vegas, it was 20 years after this movie was shot, and we spent most of our time going to restaurants and hanging out in bars and clubs, as well as walking up and down the strip and seeing what Trent refers to as all the Pirates of the Caribbean crap. But I will say that the whole sequence in Vegas is very well done. At the outset of the trip, uh, Mike and Trent are really pumped up, but there's a couple of quick scenes of them just bored out of their skulls because it's such a long drive from Los Angeles to Vegas. And then when they get there, there's this great montage of, you know, the strip, but they wind up in like the shittiest casino possible. Um, all the people in it are like, you know, strung out or they're between 90 and death. And Dina Martin, who plays the waitress that Trent hooks up with, she's she's hot as well. But it's just it's the seedy pathetic side of Vegas and it's kind of comical in that way um especially because the scenes like because these two things they're gonna be high rollers and stuff like this happens do you uh, have anything smaller yes as a matter of fact I do but this happens to be a $100 minimum bet table perhaps you'd be more comfortable at one of our lower stakes tables okay, Cocktails? Guy behind the guy. Have a scotch on the rocks, please. Any scotch will do, as long as it's not a blend, of course. Uh, single malt. Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, perhaps. Maybe a Glengow. Any Glen. Scotch on the rocks. You always double down on level. I know, but it's two hundred dollars. Like it's blood money. You might get that double down. I can't double down on you, Mike. If you don't look like you know what you you're doing, for a second, Mike, just shut up. Okay? I, I don't can't. Look like you, you know what you're doing. For a second, you're double down. Mike, I'm no, telling you, if you don't look like you know what you're doing, you're doing. Make sure to stay double down. Eighteen, good. Eighteen's good. 
12. 16. 21. I'm telling you, baby, you always double down on the left. Yeah, well, obviously not always. Always, baby. I'm just saying not in this particular case. You always double down. I lost, OK? How could you see this? The lady has 11. What would you like to do? Um, I hate you. 15. I don't know what to do here. I'll hit again. 17. Oh, okay. I'll hit there. Okay. 21. Oh my gosh, 21! I've got it! Oh Vegas is cool, trust me, and a lot of fun, but it's not hard to find that more pathetic seedy side of the city especially if you walk and wind up walking around some of the casinos and look at who's playing the slot machines or falling asleep at the slot machines, which is what I saw one woman do at one point. Finally, the one scene that I absolutely love in this movie that will never stop making me laugh is the NHL on Genesis scene. The Kings suck in this game. We should play another team. I took the Kings to the cup. Yeah, against the computer with the offsides. They're a finesse team, They're a fucking bitch team. Score! Bitch, you're a fucking bitch. Watch out, no, motherfucker. Do not fucking really? hit my elbow. It's not even so much me as it's Ronick. He's good. Oh, is that right? Elio steals the Ronick. You bitch. Score, Chicago. Fuck, oh, man. my. Oh! That was pretty. Such fucking bullshit. But that was pretty, Sue. Check this out on the instant replay. Dude, do not. You said it was fucking bullshit. Dude, Check it out. Look at it. Look at it. This is great shot. If you weren't playing great this, look at it. Look at it. Come on. Why do you think they put the instant replay in the fucking game? So you can see if it's bullshit. Well, you know what? I am unbelievable. goal, you're going to fucking watch the instant replay. Just look at it. You got the game. Come on, man. I want to fucking play. I want to learn it. You should practice this when I'm not here. Just fucking move it. When I'm not here, will you practice it? All right, we'll play some more. He likes to get scored on. Great times. All right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's on the fourth floor. The elevator's broken, okay? Dude, it's picked up. Would you buzz him in, hit nine? I wish they still had fights in this game so I could bitch slap Wayne. Wait a minute, I'm fighting anymore? Uh, doesn't that suck? Why'd they get rid of the fighting? It's the best part of the old version. I think kids were hitting each other or something, man. Yeah, but you know what, Mike? You can make their heads bleed on this one. Make somebody's head bleed. Well, we're in the playoffs. I'm gonna make Wayne Gretzky's head bleed for super fan number 99 over here. Mm. Mikey, get the door. Yeah, give me some money. Why do I have to give you money? Give me some fucking money. I'm not paying again. Jesus Christ. Pause the game. Dude, I'm about to do my thing with the, with the thing here. Pause the game. Pause I it. got fucking Wayne. Pause it. All right, I'll pause it. Jesus Christ. Christ. Like you scored all day. How much do you want? Just give me some money, man. Okay, fine. Take, take my last one here. Jesus fucking Christ. There it is, Mikey. Check it out. His head's bleeding. Mikey, check it out. His legs, little Wayne's legs are shaking all over. Bitch, what are you doing? You fucking bitch. I mean, I hate to be this guy here, but this is me and my friends back in high school and college. When Seuss says he took the Kings to the cup and then Trent's like against the computer with the offsides off, I still laugh out loud. I think I, I think I showed this part of the movie to a couple of my friends back then and they laughed their asses off too. I honestly don't have much to say about the scene beyond how funny I still think it is. So, yeah. But if you've never seen Swingers, go and watch it. It's hard. It's not hard to find. Um, in fact, it's streaming on Netflix, or at least I streamed on Netflix to watch it for this, um, which was in early January 2016, which is when I recorded it. So as of then, it was still on Netflix. And, um, I mean, I have my VHS copy still. I was just too lazy to dig it out and go in the cold, cold basement to watch it on the VCR. So, and uh, it looks good. It looks good on the on on my Kindle anyway. But for an independent film, it's not overly artistic. It's not really pretentious. It's a tight ninety minutes that's well paced. It has great performances. The dialogue snaps. I mean, you really will enjoy yourself if you've never seen it. And for me, well, that'll do it. Um, I'll be back in a couple of weeks with a couple more installments of my 80 years of DC Comics series. That has four more episodes left. I'll be wrapping those up in the beginning of the year. Uh, in February, I will be back with another proper pop culture affidavit episode. 
So until then, check out the blog for show notes and other posts. And as always, thanks for listening and take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit. All clips and media are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only, so no infringement is intended. Feedback can be sent via email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit. For more content, including show notes, media, and essays, be sure to check out the blog, which can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com. This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is the division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can support all the Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at twotruefreaks.com whenever you shop. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, and come back next time for more pop culture randomness.